On December 15, 2019, Filipinos in Rome flocked to St. Peter's Basilica for Simbangabi Mass. It was a special celebration of day one of the Philippine tradition that is the novena of nine daily dawn masses counting down to Christmas. For the first time ever, the Pope himself was the main celebrant. In his homily, Pope Francis called on the migrant Filipino faithful to share their, quote, culture and spiritual wealth. In the richness of different traditions, particular churches have introduced a variety of devotional practices. In the Philippines, for centuries, there has been a novena in preparation for a blessed Christmas called Simbangabi, Mass of the Night, much to the delight of the Filipinos. During the nine days, the Philippine faithful gather in their parishes at dawn for a special Eucharistic celebration. In recent decades, thanks to Filipino migrants, this devotion has crossed national borders and has arrived in many other countries. Simbangabi has also been celebrated for many years here in Rome. And today we celebrate together here in St. Peter's Basilica. And you, dear brothers and sisters, who have left your land in search of a better future, have a special mission. Today I encourage you to increase opportunities for meeting, to share your culture and spiritual wealth, while at the same time allowing yourselves to be enriched by the experiences of others. We are all invited to build together the communion in diversity that constitutes a distinctive trait of the kingdom of God, inaugurated by Jesus Christ, Son of God, made man. We are all called to practice charity together with those who live in the existential peripheries, using our different gifts to renew the signs of the presence of the kingdom. Together we are called to proclaim the gospel, the good news of salvation, in all languages, so as to reach as many people as possible. A week earlier, December 8, 2019, the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary, Cardinal Luis Antonio Tagle, was announced by the Vatican as its two prefect, or head, of the Congregation for the Evangelization of Peoples. According to the Jesuit magazine America, Cardinal Tagle's appointment, quote, reflects the Pope's deep desire for a missionary church. Further down the story, America explains that the Congregation for the Evangelization of Peoples used to be called the Congregation for the Propagation of the Faith up until 1967, and that back in the 17th century, it was Quote, given responsibility for administering missions in territories discovered by Spanish and Portuguese conquistadors. The Philippines certainly seems to have come a long way from those days. Catholicism came to our shores in 1521. Now, nearly 500 years later, we are a predominantly Catholic country, with contributions and cultural infusions to it recognized by the Pope himself. 
and a Filipino cardinal will lead the very office tasked with, quote, the transmission and dissemination of the faith throughout the whole world. Catholicism has stayed, spread, and indeed flourished in our archipelago. Now, how did this come about? What helped it along? And why did we embrace and hold on to our faith? Hi, my name is Bing Kimpo. Welcome to another episode of Undercovered. Welcome to Undercovered. Undercovered. Because some stories just need to be told. Others told more. A few told more fully. Or perhaps in a different way, if not in another light. Welcome to a conversation about some of the stuff that's just undercovered. Lately, I've been fascinated by how the Catholic faith has spread and of our own Filipino inputs to its growth. Because of my fascination with media and communications, and thanks in no small part to those documentaries hosted by David Suchet, look them up on YouTube, I've grown to be in awe of St. Paul, the prolific letter writer who I would like to think was one of the best communications practitioners for the faith. Closer to home, I've been drawn to the work of Padre Francesco Paliola, the 17th century Italian Jesuit missionary to Mindanao. Nearly four centuries after he was killed there in 1648, the memory of Padre Paliola remains intact in the Zamboanga Peninsula. The faith he had helped propagate remains very much alive. Catholics there continue to pray for his intercession, and the indigenous Subanon he so loved still visit what is believed to be the site of his ultimate sacrifice as a missionary. And I've also come to be more and more interested in the story of the Talangpas sisters, Mother Dionysia and Mother Cecilia Talangpas of Kalumpit, Bulacan. Fervently devoted to Mama Mary, our Blessed Mother, under her title, Our Lady of Mount Carmel, the two siblings offered their lives in service to the church and moved to Manila to be near her shrine, the San Sebastian Basilica in Capo, in 1719. That humble biaterio that they had struggled to start is now known as the Congregation of the Augustinian Recollect Sisters and carries out their mission here and abroad embodying the heartfelt Filipino response to the gift and call of faith. Now, this podcast episode is part of what I'm working on to be an ongoing series of conversations, discussions, and excerpts on subjects associated with the coming quincentennial commemorations related to the events of 1521. As you may have heard, the underlying theme of the quincentennial commemorations is victory and humanity. Victory refers to our highlighting of the lesser-told story of the steadfast heroism of Lapu-Lapu in repulsing Ferdinand Magellan who had sought to interfere in the local way of life. And humanity champions who we already were, what we already were doing, and what role we played in the context of the global meta-narrative that is the circumnavigation of the world. In this podcast, we'll discuss the part that the quincentennial commemorations leaves to the church and the faithful to take on. The Arrival of Christianity. Here I'll initially turn to one of the better-known church historians in the Philippines for answers and insights. Father Emil Kilatan, OAR, archivist of the Order of Augustinian Recollects. That interview, when we return. This is Undercovered, the podcast with Bing Kimpo. back with a conversation on the Catholic aspect of the coming quincentennial. 
So, Father Emil, let's start off with this. What exactly are Filipino Christians celebrating in 2021? The year is 1521. And according to the calendar of the navigational log, they arrived March 16, 1521. And they landed in Humonhon. Then somewhere along the line, they landed in Limasawa. And they celebrated the first Sunday Easter Mass. Now, that was later of March. Then by April, they landed in uh, Cebu, okay, where the first baptism was celebrated. Now, it's a ma- it was a mass baptism. And Magellan gave as a gift to her godchild, the Queen of Cebu, the wife of Humaban, with the Christian name Juana, the image of the Santo Niño. So that's the icon of the, centenia, of the fifth centenary of the arrival of Christianity in the Philippines. The arrival, the first Easter Sunday Mass, and the first baptism held in the shores. But it is, was in Cebu within the tribe of King of Rahahumabon. So again, we're celebrating the first Mass, which was set on Easter Sunday in Limasawa, the first baptism, which was held in Cebu, and in relation to the first baptism, the arrival of the image of the Santo Niño, as you mentioned, the long-standing icon of our faith. Now, Father Emil, describe to us how these events took place. So the chaplain, the remaining chaplain, there were supposed to be four chaplains and one only survived. His name was Padre Pedro Valderrama, a diocesan priest. So the one who really was in touch with the natives, especially with King Humabon, was Magellan. And he had a slave by the name of Enrique, which he obtained in the Molucas, no? In, Mal- in Malacca, in Malacca, not Molucas, in Malacca. And he was Christianized, baptized, etc., and became the personal slave of Magellan. So, according to, to the accounts of Pigafetta, the Italian chronicler of the Magellan expedition, Enrique de Malacca was able to communicate in Visaya with the natives of Cebu. So, he acted as interpreter between Magellan and the Cebuanos. So, the one who really attempted to make the first contact with were lay people. And when they were uh, roughly catechized, maybe, maybe, baptism was administered by the priests who were with the Magellan expedition in the person of Padre Pedro Valderrama. The other three were left behind because they mutinied. They joined the mutineers. Instead of five ships, only two ships arrived here, the Victoria and the Concepcion. Just a side note about Magellan's slave Enrique de Malaca, who is referred to as Enrique by the Portuguese, and as Pangliba Awang by the Malaysians. You mentioned that he could actually have been Bisaya? I remember at that time, no, there were piracies, and many of the natives were, were captured by other natives, and they were sold as slaves in, in what is now what we call the Mal- Malaysia and Indo- northern part of Indonesia, where slavery was thriving at that time. Now, piracy was also rampant before the arrival of the Spaniards. And slavery was one of the profitable business at that time. No? So, hindi malayo na ito si Enrique? Ay taga, Visayas. Because according to the chronicles, he could communicate with the natives. Just to be clear though, Father, Magellan and his Armada de Moluca expedition didn't set out for the Philippines to spread Christianity, right? The first contact of called European. Remember, the Philippines was already being visited by other Asia, by different Asian neighbors, so... 
like Butuan itself, is a hub for trade with other Asian nations, Southeast Asian nations. No? Even Cebu, the Chinese were already here before the Spaniards, and Islam was already here before the arrival of the Spaniards. So the coming of, the, of Magellan, a European, came here with the sole purpose looking for a route coming from the west in order to reach the Spice Islands, the Moluccas, which is now part of Indonesia. And they were able to, because of a storm or because of the difficulty of the, and because of the wind, brought them to Homonhon, from Homonhon to Limasawa, Limasawa to Cebu. So uh, when they saw the natives and the natives welcomed them, of course, as a Christian, they would like to introduce Christianity to the natives. Although the Spanish expedition was Christian, it would seem that their intention in spreading the faith was not necessarily single-minded and pure. One could say that there actually also was a very significant secular commercial reason behind it. That was Pope Alexander VI in 1492, after Columbus discovered the New World. By May, a series of papal bulls, five of them, were given to the Spanish monarch defining their powers and their obligations to introduce Christianity to the native peoples of, uh, belonging to their colonies, to their territories. That would grant them legitimization to stay in the land. Christianization. That's the agreement between the Holy See and the first monarchs who so financed the first monarch, Queen Isabel I, who financed the Columbus expeditions. Just an important note we should point out, Father. Although the introduction of Christianity in the Philippines is often associated with the 1521 expedition led by Magellan, that effort was effectively stillborn. Remember when Magellan died, Catholicism died because there were no followers. The introduction of Christianity was very short-lived. The process of evangelization came only 1565. It was led by the Legaspi expedition. And with the Legaspi expedition, Miguel Lopez de Legaspi came the uh, first group of Augustinian missionaries. When we return, how Catholicism spread and some insights on why it has stayed. This is Undercovered the Podcast with Bing Kimpo. with a conversation with Father Emil Clatan of the Order of Augustinian Recollects on the Catholic part of the coming quincentennial commemorations. When what was left of the Armada de Moluca limped out of Philippine waters following the death of Magellan, what remained was the image of the child Jesus, the Santo Nino, and the faith of those originally baptized. Despite their initial setback, Spain had set its eyes on our islands and sent follow-up expeditions back here. The Villalobos expedition of 1543 stayed briefly in Sarangani and claimed us for the Spanish crown, naming us Las Islas Filipinas, after their king, Philip II. With the Legaspi expedition of 1565, Spain effected her colonization of the Philippines. That expedition included Padre Andres de Ordaneta and his fellow priests from the Order of St. Augustine. In Cebu, they found the image of the child Jesus still intact after 44 years which no doubt inspired them even more 
to continue the aborted Christianization of the archipelago. After the Augustinians, other religious orders came over as missionaries to take part in the work of evangelization, including Father Emil's own Order of Augustinian Recollects. From the Augustinians who arrived in 1565, the Franciscans 1578, the Jesuits 1581, the Dominicans 1587, and the Recollects 1606, they were sent here by the Spanish monarchs to evangelize the natives because that's the primary purpose of why Spain was allowed to stay in the Philippines by the church, evangelization. The first Manila Synod that was called on 1581, but it was... Uh, uh, Actually, they met in 1582. Decided that the first method that of that was sanctioned, that were uh, that was legalized, was the reduction method. No, reduction. You have to gather all the scattered people in different mountains, bring them down, and make a settlement. A settlement that is habitable. They could work. They could, but they could be evangelized effectively by the missionaries. The reduction was the, we call it the embryonic state of our future towns and cities. The center was the church, the convent, and the place where they could catechize and celebrate the liturgy. And outside of their houses are the fields where they could plant and work for their, you know, for their food supplies. If you travel through many of the old towns and cities of the Philippines today, you'll certainly see the influence of the reductionist to town and city planning. Very funny, I was reviewing our the recollect method of, of, of urban planning. Make sure that the th streets are arranged so that the procession can move, the religious procession could be facilitated. Imagine roads were built enough for the procession to pass through. They were not thinking of cars at that time. The carrozas. Yes. Yes. To help hasten the evangelization, the missionaries learned our language. The integration was very, very, you know, very fast. You no, know? because the first of all, the missionaries preach in our language, the language of our ancestors. They learned the language of our ancestors. Imagine, huh? one of them was Martin de Rada. With a span of one month, he could speak fluent Cebuano and preach Cebuano, compose the first Cebuano catechism. They could adapt and learn a language with facility, with ease. Why did people warm up to Catholicism? First of all, protection. Okay. The friars protected the people from their enemies. They are the protectors. They are, they are. Actually, in 1581 and 1582, the Synod of Manila told that the, the church has to protect the rights of the Indios against abuses committed by the Spanish colonizers, the, the officials. Again, this sort of runs counter to pop culture, which these days sort of depicts the, the Spanish friars as abusers. Like Padre Damaso, no? These are, we will say, there are some friars who, were, who, who fell short of their call. There are very few. But the majority were good, and many of them were, were, were declared saints, and they were Spanish priors. The church was, was the protector and peacemaker. If there would be revolts, generally this against the abuses of the Spanish officialdom, and there will be another Babylons will also raise a revolt to, to, to again to revive the ancient religion, no? that was defeated by Catholicism, the Babylons. Second, the culture that, it, the, the, the beauty of the religion, uh, the culture that, the, that, that merged 
the native the native culture with the Hispanic culture. The churches that were built were built by with our, by our ancestors was, as, you know, they, as, as they directed, directed by the Spanish missionaries. Even the food that we eat today, there is a Hispanic-Filipino integration. Warming up means there is a, you know, uh, uh, the, the, remember, uh, we are Anito-oriented people, and what did they introduce? The devotion to the saints that took over the Anitos. Now, you go to a house in Forbes Park, to that poorest house in Baseco, you will see altars dedicated to a saint, their patron. Anito no, became the santo. So we are image-oriented. And this image orientation no, led us to em- help us embrace the Catholic faith. But remember, no, the purpose of this is enculturation with the introduction of the novena. The novenarius is catechetical in, at that time. It, it does not talk about a prayer only to the saint, but the exemplary life of a saint to improve our Christian morality. And every parish of every movement, there is a trained lay helper. The trained lay helper will prepare couples for marriage, for the ninangs to become godparents to their... Once the missionary arrive from the cabecera, everything is ready. Their catechize, the lay leaders were trained by the mission to see to it that the faith was being properly introduced. The, the Jesuits will call them fiscales, the kaabag, no? or alalay, yung, ano, yung tadagang tinatawag nating uh, donados, the gifted uh, people no? who would help. You know? uh, the, in the Ilocos, we have Pedro Bucanig, a blind Ilocano who helped the Agustinians learn the Ilocano, and preach in Ilocano, no? no? Don Gonzalo of Samar for the Jesuits, no? Luisa Balinan of, of, the, of the Dominicans in Cagayan, Cagayan Valley. They were, these were lay peoples entrusted to the care, of, to see to it that catechetical instructions were given to the people if they could not reach out to them by the, by the missionaries. In the, the Recoletos, we have our own lay helpers, and dami nila. For example, in Bolinao, we had the Beaterio for women. Many of them were babaylanes. No? And they were given the task of catechizing, helping the church, and help the poor, no? assisting the missionaries. We are told to train lay helpers, lay cooperators. What was the recollect experience of evangelization during the period of colonization? Did you, the church, and the government get along? Was there a line drawn between your respective responsibilities? We recollect, we built up self-sustaining communities. In other words, when you establish yourself, it should have a, a stable economy, stable, uh, we might say, a stable way of maintaining itself as a town to help maintain the parish. Because you cannot become a parish unless you have a stable, and you cannot become a town unless you have a stable number of population, taxpayers. So in that sense, there really was no separation. There's no separation of church-state. There's none. Is Remember, that at that well? time, for a parish to be established, for a town to be established, you need the approval of the king. That's why you cannot separate the non-religious to the religious aspect of evangelism. Everything is integrated at that time. There was no separation of church and state. We call it the Patronatorial de las Indias because the church, the papacy, from Alexander VI to Julius, gave the rights of the monarch no, to intervene in the church affairs of his colonies provided that he would sustain and support 
the missionary efforts of the church in the colonies. That's why he was called the patron of the missions, the Spanish monarch. So one of the rights given to him to nominate bishops, he can nominate. Second, he could, he could send a missionary group or pull them out, just what he did to the Jesuits. No? He could delegate civil functions to the missionaries, like preparing for the election of the local officials, drawing up the list of taxpayers, inspectors of schools, market sanitation, so civil functions were given no, by the Spanish monarch to the missionaries, which could not be sustained by the local, because the local officials are in the cities, not in the barrios. And lastly, no, all the communications coming from the Vatican must be examined by the king before they could be issued in the colonies. So Vatican had no direct contact with the Philippines until 1898. That's why when the Treaty of Paris was signed, ending the Spanish-American War, Spain ceding the Philippines to the United States, that's the time that the Vatican sent an apostolic delegate to check what is really happening in the Philippines. Your order with your schools across the country is often associated with education. Was education part of your mission from the very beginning? Education as part of mission was in the beginning because uh, we have catechetical schools or parochial schools just beside the parish church because we have to teach catechism before teaching catechism. We need to teach how, the children how to read and write. Formal education per se began only in the 20th century, 1940s. Father, have any of the Spanish missionaries here in the Philippines over the years, have any of them become saints? The Dominicans, and Daminila, they were professors of UST, who were martyred in Japan. We have the four Augustinian recollects. Mangaling sila dito. A stepping stone for the evangelization of Japan was the Philippines. The Spanish missionaries, no? So uh, went there through the Philippines. No? We have four recollects no? who went to Japan via the Philippines. And before they went to Japan, they stayed here and they worked as missionaries for years. No, we have in the 18, 18, 1870, 71 to 1885, San Ezekiel Moreno, he was a missionary of Palawan and he, he was declared saint in 1992. And there were other, um, you might say, uh, were declared saints who worked here in, very silently. No? Others were undeclared saints because they worked silently. And it, because of the propaganda movement demonizing the friars, they thought all the friars were bad. That's not true. When we return, be prepared to take notes as Father Emil draws up a list of places to visit for those of you who may be thinking of doing a quincentennial pilgrimage. This is Undercovered the Podcast with Bing Kimpo. to our conversation with Augustinian recollect Father Emil Quilatan on the coming commemoration of 500 years of Christianity in the Philippines. All right, Father, we're celebrating the quincentennial of the arrival of Christianity in 1521. If one were to do a pilgrimage related to this, what stops would you suggest? We go to Limasawa Island. No? There's a memorial there, the site of the first Easter Sunday Mass. Then to Cebu City, visit the Basilica of the Santo Nino and the Magellan's Cross. These are historical symbolism and reminders that we that the Catholic faith, the Christian faith, was introduced here by Europeans. 
and the icon of that evangelization was the icon or the image as a gift given by Magellan to her godchild, the Queen of Cebu, is the image of the Santo Nino. The image itself is a symbolism of the presence no, of God through the evangelizing efforts and colonizing efforts of the, of the Spanish monarchs no, in the Philippines. No? That is for the 500 years. Other icons of faith no, are found in Manila also. We have Quiapo, the Nazareno, the Our Lady of Mount Carmel in, the San, in San Sebastian Basilica, and the Our Lady of Peace in Good Voyage in Antipolo. These are icons. No? And if you want an older one, you go to Taal Batangas, Kaisasay, Our Lady of Kaisasay, and Ermita, Our Lady of, I forgot the title, that's, uh, also one of the old, I forgot the ano. The, the her title, sorry, lapse. In the north, you have Vigan Cathedral, built by the Recollects. Masinlok uh, Sambales, the Church of St. Andrew, founded by the first parish established by the Recollect missionaries in 1607. Then Iba Sambales, which is not the cathedral, uh, it's where we started everything. No? And also, of course, no, let us not forget the Manila Cathedral. It became a diocese. Manila became, the, for the whole Philippines only, in 1579, it became an archdiocese in 1595. And San Agustin Church, it's the first uh, solid building at that time built in the Philippines. In the Visayas, go to Iloilo, especially Arevalo. That's the second settlement founded by the Spaniards after Cebu. And of course, you go to other places like Miagao Church, that's beautiful church of Santo Tomas de Villanueva. It's a Baroque-style church. And uh, you also go to Negros, especially Bacolod City. It is uh, The city was uh, planned, organized by the Recollect Father Mauricio Ferrero. He's the builder of Bacolod. So there is a recollect imprint in the city and the cathedral is the monument built by that famous recollect architect, city architect, Mauricio Ferrero. Then you go to Talisay where the recollects founded the parish no, under Fernando Cuenca and he introduced, he improved the sugar industry of the island, introducing hydraulic press for crushing the sugar. Now in Palawan, we have Puerto Princesa, founded by the Spanish as a settlement, but they are headed by the recollect fathers by Ezequiel San Ezequiel Moreno. In Mindanao, we entered, that was 1622, we entered through Tandag. From Tandag, we have Surigao City, Butuan City, and Cagayan de Oro City. These are the churches, no? And the former missions of the Recollects in Mindanao, the eastern half of Mindanao. Any message to Filipino Catholics as we count down to the celebration? We Filipinos are fan of fiestas. Since I was a seminarian, I attended the National Bible Year, the National Marian Year, the National Catechetical Year. Fiestas, celebrations. But do we sustain the message of the fiestas in, in our way of life? I hope that we will not end up in celebrations only. What we have celebrated must go on and affect us in the way we should live as Christians. There is no dichotomy between faith and morality. It should be integral. I hope as we celebrate, I would see no, Catholic doctors, Catholic nurses, Catholic lawyers, not just a politician who happens to be Catholic. It's a complicated history. But then again, what history isn't? When the Spanish arrived in 1521, they brought with them Christianity. And we embraced it, notwithstanding the faults and frailties of some of those who first shared Christianity with us. We've actually even gone full circle already. We now spread and share this very faith with the whole world through the Filipino diaspora, led by our priests and nuns, 
our migrants, and our expatriate workers across land and sea. The Pope himself is now effectively calling on us to be modern-day missionaries. And he's also appointed our Manila Archbishop to lead that very office in the Vatican. As we count down to the quincentennial of Christianity here in the Philippines, it may be opportune to quietly reflect on that gift and the challenges that come with it. This has been Bing Kimpo. Join me next time as we look into more of the stuff that's just undercovered. Thank you.